Marvelites. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 536. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Harbinger of Doom, Lorraine Sink. Lorraine is wearing what looks to me to be construction goggles. I like these glasses, but <laughs> from the little screen that I see you in, they look like construction goggles, and I love them. I am aiming to be like a 70s scientist, is what is really happening. They're aviator-esque. But you know what? I can't see well, so sometimes <laughs> I have to wear glasses, Ryan. But we're not here to talk about my glasses. That's my other podcast, Lorraine Talks About Her Glasses.net. This week, we're talking about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we like in the Marvel Universe. I want to know whoever buys Lorraine, what was it, Lorraine Talks About Glasses.net? I want to know whoever buys that and what you do with that website. Please let us know. Uh, But yeah, we have a lot going on this week, a lot of news and fun stuff to talk about, especially when it comes to comics. And later this episode, we have a really fun interview with author Ronald L. Smith, who wrote the book Black Panther Spellbound, which is out this week. We're going to talk to him a whole bunch about Black Panther later in the show. You know what? Let's keep on that Black Panther tip. And what do we got up first, Lorraine? Well, newly announced is a new wonderful podcast from us folks here at Marvel, The History of Marvel Comics, Black Panther. There's a new trailer that you can check out on marvel.com. And in fact, I feel like we can just like listen to it right now. In 1966, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby created a new superhero. He was Marvel's first African hero, the king and protector of a fictional country called Wakanda and he was granted the powers of the panther spirit. He'd even go on to become an Avenger. He was... The Cold Tiger? Wait, that can't be right, hold up. From Sirius XM and Marvel Entertainment, the history of Marvel Comics Black Panther, an all new series where we tell the official history of one of the Marvel Universe's most iconic superheroes, the Black Panther. Hosted by me, Nick Stone. And on this podcast, we'll explore all the twists and turns throughout the creation and legacy of the Black Panther as only Marvel can tell it, including how Cole Tiger Yeah, it almost became T'Challa's superhero name. We'll feature behind-the-scenes access and exclusive interviews with the ones who created the world of Black Panther. From Black Panther's very first solo adventures, written by a young, frustrated, yet determined Don McGregor. Uh, I was proofreading books there at the time, and I would say to the editorial, like, how can you be publishing this kind of stuff? Are you people crazy? Oh, and not to mention how the current vice president of the United States gave her seal of approval to writer Reginald Hudlin's Black Panther. She was like, this is awesome, Reggie. So I can tell folks Kamala Harris was down with the Black Panther from before it was published. You think you know the Black Panther? Well, I'm here to tell you that we haven't even gotten started. Join us as we unmask the untold stories, missteps, twists, and turns and hear how the legend of Black Panther came to be. Marvel Entertainment and SiriusXM present The History of Marvel Comics Black Panther, hosted by Nick Stone. Premieres Monday, February 14th. Hear it first exclusively on the SXM app or by subscribing to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts and coming soon everywhere. Learn more at SiriusXM.com slash Black Panther. 
as you heard, this is a new podcast from Marvel Entertainment and SiriusXM, and it's phenomenal. It kicks off on Monday, February 14th, and it's going to be a six-episode documentary podcast hosted by New York Times bestselling author Nick Stone. We're going to have her here on the show one of these weeks. And she gets into all kinds of stuff about the creation of Black Panther, his evolution in comics and storytelling, and how the world has impacted him and how he's impacted the world. A ton of folks will be showing up on the podcast series as guests, you know, getting a lot of perspectives. Folks like Brian Stelfreeze, Christopher Priest, Don McGregor, Joe Casada, John Ridley, John Romita Jr., Reginald Hudlin, Tanahasi Coates. I mean, pretty much. Everyone who has played a part in Black Panther stories that Nick Stone and the team could talk to, they talk to. It's really, really cool. Again, the first two episodes of the History of Marvel Comics Black Panther premieres Monday, February 14th, that's Valentine's Day, on Sirius XM and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts, with new episodes coming weekly, and then episodes will be available widely one week later on Pandora, Stitcher, and all other major podcast platforms in the U.S. Let's move on and talk about Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow because we've got chapter five this week. The title of the episode is I Thought About Letting Her Know. Ooh, and it is available now. The synopsis for this is that now under house arrest, Helen gives Lisa her first mission, assume a false identity and seduce Stanley. Growing even more suspicious of Lisa's motives, Jordan circumvents Hank and reports his findings to Judy Kratz. With all that said, let's hear a little sneak peek. If we're going to crack this case, you need to get close to her. I have a lot on the line, okay? I guess we've both been playing it close to the vest. You've been so instrumental in this thing of ours. My OI has been compromised. Compromised? As in hacked. Uh, Let's begin. You got the funds or what? It's about whoever is smuggling this extremist. It's nanotech, a serum. It'll give you access to the whole building. I basically can see and hear whatever I want, whenever. You'll have to be very careful. This sounds dangerous. At this point, it's too hazardous. Just say it, you're scared. This is only going to get uglier. There you have it. You just heard the voices of Susan Sarandon as Black Widow, Nate Cordry as Jordan Temple, Melissa Gilbert as Kim, Justin Harmon as Lisa Cartwright, Michael Imperioli as Stanley, and more. And of course, you can listen to the first five episodes now exclusively on the SXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. And then episodes will be released widely one week later on Pandora, Stitcher, and all other major podcast platforms in the U.S., you can always learn more at marvel.com slash wastelanders. Go check it out. It's really fun. And of course, make sure to check out last week's episode of This Week in Marvel featuring an interview with Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow writer Alex Delisle. Uh, we also did an interview with director Timothy Busfield a few weeks back in case you missed that. We also got some cool stuff coming up for Marvel's Avengers, the video game. You might remember that Clint Barton wore a certain suit and made a whole lot of enemies, and it is indeed inspired by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They are bringing Hawkeye's Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame Ronin outfit for Clint. It's going to be available in the marketplace. You can get it now and, you know, relive your haunted past, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, what everybody wants to do. Of course, if you haven't already checked out Marvel's Avengers, you can buy it now on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. You can play it on Xbox Game Pass. It's also on Steam and Stadia and just a ton of ways to play it. Get a metal box, play it. Yeah. 
All right, Lorraine, it is time to talk about some comics news as a whole bunch because the comics coming out in May are starting to get announced, so we're getting some drips and drabs, uh, but we're coming out swinging because Judgment Day has been announced. It's actually coming in July, but we're, we're rolling into big summer stuff because we're going to get a little hint of this, I believe, in Free Comic Book Day in May, but Judgment Day... Written by Kieran Gillen, art by Valerio Schiti, and it is a universe-spanning event. Think of something like Empire and or even of Inferno, which really affects a lot of stuff. It'll tie together Kieran Gillen's Eternals run that he's been writing masterfully for last year and change. Immortal X, which Kieran is writing for the X-Men group. And Jason Aaron and Javier Garon's Avengers comics. So it's really bringing in the Avengers, the X-Men, and the Eternals together. If you've seen the AXE teaser images and stuff like that, you will have seen that stuff. But there's also now a beautiful piece of promotional art by Dustin Weaver, which you can check out on Marvel.com. I'll give you a little hint, uh, a little taste of what this is about. Because the synopsis reads, The X-Men have achieved immortality and mutants have taken their place as the dominant species on the planet. The Eternals have discovered long-hidden knowledge about their species, including a devastating truth about mutant kind. The Avengers have come into direct conflict with the Celestials and are currently using a fallen Celestial as their base of operations, slowly unlocking its secrets. And when the Eternals brazenly target the mutant nation of Krakoa, the Avengers try desperately to de-escalate a potentially apocalyptic war. But this is no simple conflict. The Eternals' purpose cannot be denied, and mutant kind's future will not be threatened. And after the opening battles, new players and revelations for both sides will emerge as the inhabitants of the Marvel Universe are judged by the greatest power they've ever come into contact with, and then everyone makes out. Nope. <laughs> that last part Ryan added. Are you sure? Um, <laughs> I We know Kieran. I mean, I'm not sure. Kieran likes kissing I'm not in sure. his comics. Kieran does love some kissing comics. Mm-hmm. Um, Listen, I have to say... This series is written by Kieran Gillen, one of the yes. greats. Yes. Art by Valerio Schiti, one of the greats. Yes. Also, these three huge teams. I mean, this is an epic. I will read anything Kieran Gillen wants to write. Agreed. His creator-owned stuff that he's been doing for the last couple of years in between his Marvel oh, stuff, yeah. also super terrific. Everybody, go check out Die. And of course, The Wicked and the Divine is like... So good. The best. Also, fashion. And as we mentioned, definitely check out Free Comic Book Day Avengers X-Men number one on May 7th to get a first taste of the action. And then over the coming weeks and and months, we're going to have more cover reveals. We're going to see sort of the build up to Judgment Day come together in the pages of the books we mentioned. So Eternals, Immortal X-Men, X-Men, Avengers, keep your eyes on all of those. Savage Avengers number one was announced. That's coming in May, written by David Pipose with art by Carlos Magno. So this is going to be an all-new, all-different, all-dangerous kind of team happening. We got Conan the Barbarian, exiled from the Hyborian Age. You know, he's conquered most of the dangerous foes of the modern Marvel Universe. But this series is going to ask what happens when this hard-edged dude finds himself on the run from cybernetic soldiers from the future, known as Deathlocks. I think this is going to be really fun. I love a mashup of, like, a classic sort of barbarian character going into this more technological age. I'll be honest, this has big shoes to fill. Savage Avengers, the the first run, the first, you know, almost 30 issues we had of it. I've said it before, say it again, one of my all-time favorite comics. So there's a big pedigree here. Everybody go read Savage Avengers, the first couple of, uh, you know, trades and series, and then get ready because May, we're getting more Conan and, and big action. I'm excited for it. Conan is one of those characters that 
I love fantasy and D&D and all that kind of stuff, but I was never a super big Conan fan, but like Jason Aaron's work with Conan, I'm just like, yeah, I'm oh in. God. I'm this in. King it's Conan so good. story right now that he's doing with Mahmoud Asrar, Mahmoud maybe draws the, the coolest fight scenes then the coolest oh, horror yeah. stuff because he's got these all, all these zombies and then the sexiest characters in the world. Also, just the layouts that he mm-hmm. creates are so cool. Yeah. Really good work. Totally. But also butts. Yeah, but also butts. Ryan, what's going on with you today? <laughs> Hopefully we'll get back to some butts. But new Fantastic Four, number one, coming in May. It is a five-issue limited series written by Peter David, art by Alan Robinson. And new Fantastic Four is for me personally like a very seminal storyline it's from Mm -hmm. the fantastic four run of the 90s when we weren't really making collected editions trade paperbacks there was a collection of new fantastic four three issues written by walt simonson drawn by arthur adams it had the fantastic four taken down by scrolls and the backup plan was to have a new team take over as the fantastic four it was hulk spider-man Ghost Rider and Wolverine. And I still have my personal copy from when I was like 10 years old or whatever it is. And I've read it so many times. So this is so cool. This is basically a continuation of that story. So when Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, Wolverine and Hulk banded together to become the new Fantastic Four, that was a great story. Now they return in an all new adventure written by Peter David, and it's set shortly after the events of that first appearance. So it's going to be super fun, have that spirit, that energy. Peter has been doing these really, really cool stories like the symbiote Spider-Man stories or the maestro stories, picking up on old stories, putting them into continuity, but doing them in a new modern way. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Next up, we've got Spider-Man 2099 Exodus. It's going to be three issues coming in May. Alpha, Alpha number one and number two, written by Steve Orlando with art by Paul Fry, Dave Watcher and Marco Castiello. This is all going to kick off, as I said, with Alpha number one. We're in the world of 2099 in Nueva York, and there is going to be a cataclysmic crash that creates a new Garden of Eden in what was once the American Wastelands. And now Spider-Man knows exactly what the next atrocity is going to be. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens with the Cabal ooh, and what they're going to do to set society ablaze. So you're going to have to wait and see who's leading the team and what the Cabal is all about. Yeah, this is the 30th anniversary of 2099 this year. Um, launched in 1992. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Stabbed in the neck I by know. that statement. Uh, I remember in, in the Marvel offices, we used to have this long vertical frame with the first issues of Spider-Man 2099, Ravage 2099, Punisher 2099, and X-Men 2099, like the launch titles for the line. And this is going to be super fun. Steve is, he's doing really cool work. He's been doing some great stuff on um, the Darkhold and various other projects. He's got Marauders. So seeing him here doing these Spider-Man 2099 stories, we're going to have three issues in May and return of some characters, get into some big things. So, you know, we have the Alpha, then there's the first two issues of Exodus getting into like Loki and Winter Soldier and a whole bunch of other stuff. I don't want to give too much away. There's going to be lots to play into. I'm sure we'll talk to Steve here on this show or on Marvel's pull list in the coming months to get into some 2099. 30 years, 30 years. God, so many anniversaries this year. I know this is a big year for anniversaries. Of course, we're talking about Spider-Man, the Avengers, 
Spider-Man 2099, lots of big anniversaries for folks this year. Um, And every year, every year, somebody gets a birthday, but not all of them end in a zero. I would even say, Lorraine, every day is someone's birthday. Whoa, my My blood's coming out of my nose, face, eyes. I don't know. It blew my brain up. (laughs) Moving on. Lunar New Year is upon us, and there is a very special Mighty Marvel holiday special coming to Marvel Unlimited. It's the Year of Wong. It's a wonderful new Infinity comic by Amy Chu with pencils by EJ Sue. Antonio Fabella is the colorist. And this is going to be really awesome. It's when a ancient demon attacks Manhattan, Chinese New Year's parade. Wong jumps into the fray to protect the city, but he's not alone in the fight. Um, definitely go check it out on Marvel Unlimited. And happy Lunar New Year if you celebrate. Yeah, and uh, you're the tiger this year. Well, that was a whole lot of comics, but we still got to talk about um, some more Black Panther yet. Yeah, because our guest this week is Black Panther Spellbound author Ronald L. Smith. The book is out now, just came out this week, and it is a sequel to Black Panther The Young Prince. In this novel, T'Challa goes on summer vacation to Alabama. Ronald L. Smith paints a really cool picture mm-hmm. in terms of the food and some I cool- yeah. This book makes me so hungry. So Listen hungry. to this interview where I mostly talk about how hungry this book made me. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good, though. And it's such a fun story. You know, like, this is great if you have a younger reader or if, if you just like YA. This is so fun. We breezed through it and really had a blast. I love this interview. I love talking with Ronald L. Smith. The book was fantastic. Let's get into it right now. Ronald L. Smith, author of the new book, Black Panther Spellbound. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me here. It's our pleasure. Yeah. I'm going to tell you this straight off. I freaking love this book. It was great. I read it in three sittings. And (laughs) during the pandemic, I've read one book because I have a two-year-old. And it was my wife's next novel, which I loved. And I read this. I was just entranced. It was fantastic. Wow. Well, thank you for that. I'm deeply honored. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah. We're so excited to have you on the show and to get to talk to you again. What is your Marvel origin story? What was the first way that you encountered Marvel characters and got to know the Marvel universe? Wow. That's going back a long time because I'm kind of an old person. (laughs) (laughs) But I have an older brother who's even older. And this would be, dare I say, late 70s. And he was a huge Marvel fan, and he had a collection that he was very proud of, and, you know, he didn't want his little brothers getting their grubby fingers on the comic books. So (laughs) that was probably my first introduction, you know, going down to the basement where his room was and carefully thumbing through pages. And, um, you know, I just fell in love with the world as a little kid, you know, superheroes or everything. So that's when the world really opened up for me. And, uh, you know, I love those characters, all the Marvel characters, and... And who would have known that that little kid living in an Air Force base, you know, all those years later would be writing uh, for one of the most iconic superheroes of all time. So sometimes I have to pinch myself, but it's really an honor and a treat to get to work with Marvel. How did you come about getting connected with Marvel to start writing some Black Panther novels? Well, the short answer is I'd written two books previously for a middle grade audience. Uh, One was called Hoodoo which took place in the Deep South, uh, historical fiction, a little black boy surrounded by supernatural stuff, and he has to save the day. And then I also wrote another book called The Mesmerist, which was totally different from that. That took place in 
turn of the century England, and a young girl is the character. And I guess folks at Marvel heard of me somehow. <laughs> and I just got a call from my agent one day after those two books, maybe a year after the last one came out, and said, hey, uh, we've got a really cool offer for you from Marvel. And I'm like, what, me? Are you, are you sure? <laughs> and sure enough, she was right. And that was right around the time the film was coming out. So it was fantastic and kind of nerve-wracking to write for such a big character and property and to work with Marvel. But it was a blast. You know, I had all the support and help that I needed, guidance, encouragement. And, you know, it's kind of cool because, of course, I was a fan of Black Panther, but I wasn't like super, super, super immersed into every, every detail. And I think that proved to my benefit because if that were the case, I think I would have been even more nervous trying to get the story down. Mm -hmm. But since I knew the character, I knew the big moments in the character's journey, I felt like it was a little easier, dare I say, to write because I wasn't sweating over every little detail. I knew that if, if something didn't line up right, the folks at Marvel would say, well, no, that didn't happen. You can't do it that way because we established this and, you know, whatever. So I think that actually helped me get my hands around the book, being a fan, but not being so immersed that I was afraid to touch it for fear of not being perfect. So it worked out well. It clearly worked out very well because this book, Black Panther Spellbound, is actually the sequel to your first book, which is Black Panther, The Young Prince. What can you tell us about where T'Challa is coming from in that first book into where he's coming into this second book, which was also, honestly, I love a book like this, too, because I know it's one that anybody can pick up and read, even if you haven't read the first book. But your experience will be enhanced if you have read the first book. Exactly. There, I guess we would call them a few Easter eggs. You know, the first book, The Young Prince, T'Challa is in Chicago. It's his first time in the United States, and he has to hide his identity because there's a threat in Wakanda, and uh, T'Chaka wants to keep him safe, and he has to kind of go undercover. So he meets friends, Sheila and Zeke, who are also in this book. So Chicago was T'Challa's first experience in America. And in this book, I wanted to get him back here again. And I thought that Alabama would be interesting because I know the South. I grew up in the military, but we lived all over the place. And my family's from the South and Alabama in particular. And I said, wow, what would it be like to have young T'Challa down South with the food and the slang and the weeping willow trees and all the weird Southernisms? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would be a really interesting place to put him. So that's where our adventure starts this time around. He's in Alabama and crazy stuff happens. But, but you do not need to have read the first book. I hope that readers will. But yeah, it's a series, not necessarily one long story. You know, there's kind of an overall arc, but they are standalone novels. You talked about Alabama and your experiences in the South. In this book, there's some really interesting stuff that being set in Alabama, we get to see, you know, important touch points like Selma, the Confederate monument. Um, how important was it for you to include those tidbits around the world for T'Challa to experience and like seeing it through his eyes, I think was really an interesting piece. Thanks. Yeah, I definitely wanted to include that stuff because, you know, not only for our young readers who should be aware of these things and the history of the United States and where we are today, but you don't want to do it in a preaching kind of way or try to teach a moral lesson. You know, it just needs to be part naturally of the story. And in particular, I think it's important for T'Challa because he comes from a nation of Black people. They're pretty much privileged, right? I mean, Wakandans have all the wealth they need. 
So how many times has T'Challa seen the other side? How many times has he seen what Black Americans are like? So I really wanted to show his reaction to that, his reaction to things like racism and poverty and other things. Not to say that that's what it's really getting at, but but those things are there in the background. You know, there's always something where he's going to learn and grow from these experiences that he sees outside of Wakanda to, uh, you know, help him build more empathy for people that aren't like him. So I think it's an important thing for the character and for young people to read to get a real grasp of history. I do love so much the authenticity of sort of the real world that we live in. And I have to say, you write about food so well. I (laughs) sat down to read this book, Not Hungry, and I did not end that way. I wanted to eat everything. Is there something that you're really attracted to about writing about food? I mean, also Southern food is like the best food. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Dangerous for me personally. Oh my God. Well, you go down South. Our listeners will know. I hope a lot of them. And every house you go into, sit down, baby, let me make you a plate. You've got pecan pie, peach cobbler, vanilla ice cream, all this stuff. It may not be good for you, but it's good going down. And, you know, that's how I grew up and many others. And it was just fun to write about that experience of Southern life and the food. And I hope readers will really connect to it. But yeah, it's uh, my mouth was watering as well as I was writing those scenes. And it's, it's really fun. It's a real tribute to southern cooking and and the comfort and the family and the hearth and all that stuff so it's i had to get that in there yeah i had to get it in there food is love food is love love, indeed my wife's from the south i grew up in new york i've never lived anywhere else but new york so i've over the last you know 15 years been more and more experienced with southern food and the culture and stuff like that and i was like i would put down the book and be like babe we got to have some good food. We, we got to like, we need to make some shrimp and grits. We need some, <laughs> some really good stuff. I was like this page, look at this. Yeah. I have to echo everything that Lorraine said. That's fantastic. There's one place in particular that I wanted to mention by name, but I couldn't really do it without a lot of signing things. Um, but there's one barbecue spot. I kind of disguised it in the book. I think people from Alabama, they'll know it when they see it. I mean, we're, but yeah, we're under it's... no legal issues here. You can shout them out. We shout out, Oh, shops yeah. and, and restaurants and stores. Laney's Barbecue. Laney's Barbecue. Mm. Yeah, in Selma. That place is, you will pass out from the food. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> you mentioned, you know, your your fandom around Black Panther, knowing certain stuff but not a ton. And working with the Marvel teams, did you go back to any specific books or comics or the film or anything as you were like trying to put in little extra tidbits or, or things around Wakanda? Like, you know, just... The Kamoyo beads and the technology, the suit, there, there's certain things that like are so rich and feel so perfectly aligned with everything we know about Black Panther. Was it just because this is your jam is what you know, or were there certain influences? That's a good question. You know, obviously you want to build on the wonderful world building and mythology that's already there. And then maybe find a way to introduce a few new elements that maybe we didn't talk about in the first book. And the way I kind of see it, I think these books... I think this is right, and I hope it's okay, but I think these books are kind of canon adjacent, you know? I think they kind of live in their own universe, so you don't want to go too far outside the movies and the canon and stuff like that of the comic books and graphic novels, but I found that through working with the team that I was able to, you know, just tweak things a little bit, 
for these stories because it is kind of a different world, a different universe. It's T'Challa as a young kid. So I think that gives you a little bit of permission to tweak things a little bit. But all of the big moments, all of the big mythology is still there. The kind of historical timeline that exists is still there. But there's so much to explore, you know, from vibranium to, to technology to clothing, food. You know, there's so much to play on. It's just a real... Uh, I was going to say gold mine. I'll say vibranium mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I love that too. Uh, my parents work in mining. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a super excellent cover. Now, I think it's interesting because, you know, we kind of see in the comics that there's this spiritual side to Wakanda and there's the Panther God and, and that. But we also s- sort of see it as really like a technological place with like fancy jet planes and all kinds of incredible technology. What was it that made you want to deal with a more magical world and in your villain choices and whatnot? That part is so rich, right? Because there's a super fancy stuff. There's the royal talent and all the moyo beads and the 3D holograms and all that stuff. But there's also the ancestral plane and the Dajala and all of this wonderful mythology and Bast and the Orisha. I mean, that stuff is really cool. And I really wanted to get into that a little bit as well. Because, you know, Bast is real to Wakandans. You know, it's a deity that's real. And and I just really like exploring that and seeing that side of the Marvel universe that is with Black Panther, which is sometimes more grounded. You know, I really wanted to see the magical, mystical side of it. So you're going to see a little bit of that in Spellbound. Probably a lot of it, actually. So that was a really fun experience to write about. And it's fun to discover characters that haven't been written about a lot that I can expand upon. And we know who the characters are in this book. So that was a lot of fun to write. I sort of didn't dig into what the book was about until I started reading the book, which I I think is a great way to get into stuff like this and like discovering, wait a minute, where we're going? Who's this character? And this sort of line of thought, I was really excited by it. But also just the heat of it all the summertime feeling similar to the way you write about food the way you write about that southern heat i was very uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) yeah thanks i mean um it was a blast to write and i really like detail and setting so much because you can really really get people to fall into the page they call it you know you want the smell of that food and the smell of the trees and the weeping willow trees the wind the heat and that's all part of that element is just is another character in the story, really. And, of course, it starts out with a fun summer trip. But, of course, something weird's going to happen. And T'Challa and his friends are going to have to save the day, hopefully. And, yeah, it was a blast to write. And I really love writing the character. And, yes, yes. <laughs> So I was looking through some of your bio and stuff, and you were talking about how you had worked in advertising and then some books by like Philip Pullman and Neil Gaiman and like the Lemony Snicket books had sort of drawn you back (laughs) into young reader literature, which first of all is like, that is my jam. All of those (laughs) book series are absolutely like some of my, my favorite stuff. I love sort of like that friendly to many readers sort of spoopy world of literature. And I was so thrilled slash tickled when I saw the term elder God in this book. 
And I'm just curious for your personal fandom, like what from the magical world and the literature world do you enjoy and get into that seeps into this book? Wow. (laughs) Well, you know, I think we always bring a bit of ourselves to our writing, right? You know, and um, I really love those books and those authors that you mentioned because you know, the world seemed grounded, but there's still something fantastical and extraordinary about them. And that's why I like writing about the kind of normal world. That's why you have Chicago and Alabama. But what is that kind of weird element that's running underneath? But I, you know, if I understand your question correctly, I think, I guess I'm a curious person when it comes to religion and faith and spirituality, and I'm kind of open to a lot of different influences. So I think that comes across in my writing. I usually don't try to analyze it too much. I leave that up to other people. But yeah, I mean, every writer has a different perspective and life experiences and beliefs. And as long as you're not trying to preach some type of doctrine in particular, I think that's cool because kids are going to see this and you know open their mind to possibilities, whatever they may be. I think that answers the question a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think we could all use a little magic. Yeah. I'm still looking for that. Uh, I want to join the the apprentices for magical whatever. I don't know. Can I still get an owl to come to my window and invite me to <laughs> Hogwarts or something? I... <laughs> the Strange Academy. Yeah, I was going to say over here at Marvel we have Strange Academy, which is the the school for all the oh. magic users, and there's characters from every realm, and that to me is is ripe for these kinds of stories as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's a little tidbit about how, like, T'Challa is like, oh, I forgot to get money. I'm not used to having money, the talk of privilege, but also the idea that, like, right. oh, I have a guy that usually pays yeah. for things for me when I'm right. home. Like, that yeah. that stuff, like you say, I, I'm excited to see sort of those beats, which, of course, he's one of the greatest characters of all. He's one of the greatest superheroes, minds of all Marvel universes. But it's those little things, those human touches that I am excited to explore. Yeah, absolutely. And those are the fun parts to write. You know, the scene you mentioned is where I think uh, T'Challa, Sheila, and Zeke are at a carnival and he wants to play some silly game, you know, and he doesn't have any money. And and there's just other fun things to explore, like cotton candy. He's never had cotton candy before. (laughs) Like, what's cotton candy? Corn dogs. Those are Southern, right? What's a corn dog? Those little asides are really fun to write for a character who comes from a world that's completely different from the one that we live in. You know, you mentioned the films very briefly, but, you know, you wrote the first book. I think it launched around the same time as Marvel Studios' Black Panther was coming into theaters for the first time. What is it like to witness the tchalla that <laughs> followed the launch of the movie? And, and how does it feel to come back to the character now with, I think, you know, within the comic fandom, he was such a beloved character, but just the explosion of that character after the film, I've just never seen anything like it. It's really exciting. Yeah. All I can say is it's truly an honor. You know, I I feel like I have to pinch myself sometimes because to write a character that's so iconic and, and to really get to explore the great world building and mythology that Marvel has built with the character, it's just an honor. You know, I mean, it sounds like I'm repeating myself, but it, it truly is. It's just a real 
mind-blowing kind of experience to realize that I'm writing this character and kids and adults are reading. And and I think it's a big responsibility as well because you want to do the character justice. You want people to have a good time reading. You want people to take something away from it. So it's truly a big deal in my life. It's pretty cool. It's a big deal for Marvel as well. <laughs> These books are great. I'm excited. I'm going to hold on to this and um, my daughter's two now, but she gets a little bit older and yeah. maybe not so freaked out by uh, some of the things that are in here. She'll have a copy waiting for her, which is very exciting. That's fantastic. Ronald, thank you so much for being on This Week in Marvel. We appreciate you. And uh, hopefully there's more for you at Marvel. Oh, we shall see. We shall see. I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Ron. Thanks, Lorraine and Ryan. Good to talk to you again. And there you have it. Get that book wherever you buy your books, preferably maybe a, a local bookstore. I don't know, but definitely go check it out or get it online. It is a ding, dang delight. A triple D. All right, let's get into it. Next week on the show, we're going to be talking about digital collectibles with Vivi, the origins of Marvel's fictional audio stuff, all with our guest, who is a co-worker of ours, Dan Fink. He does a whole bunch of stuff on the business side here for Marvel. It's a cool perspective on some of these things. But, you know, we've been talking about 2099, talking about all this Spider-Man 2099 mm -hmm. stuff. And I was thinking for our question of the week. If you time traveled to the year 2099, what's the first thing you would do? Go inside because the air is hecka toxic, man. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would buy, I would just buy a cell phone. Like I'm so basic. I'd be like, what's the good tech? Get me some good headphones. <laughs> you know, like, is there a tablet situation I need for reading my comics? I don't know. Maybe. Mm. It's probably a VR, like a headset situation. So that would be pretty cool. <gasps> For my answer to this, I think, look, I'm also basic and I sort of go to the same thing every time. I'm going to get some of that food. I want to be like, <laughs> all right, I want to go to whatever street cart is around, find out what's good, where the people are congregating, what has a long line, what's going to be tasty, what's got all the meaty, salty, delicious greasiness that I can handle. Then I will be very sick for a while and then I'll go back for more. It'll be like... I raised this in a meat tube and it's meat, but it's from a tube. Yeah, you could be, you know, like they can build little, you know, organs it's and like stuff. Genetically just globs of meat. Modified meats. Yeah, give me some of that. Meat tube. Yeah, meat tubes. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be eating meat tubes. Also, I'd want to get a jacket. I feel like they would have really cool jackets in 2099. Yeah. You know, get the fashion, get the Back to the Future uh. lace ups where they squeeze into your foot. We want to hear from you. What's the first thing you would do if you landed in 2099? You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. As always, please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show. There you have it. All right. Our question of the week last week was, what would you do if you could live in Wakanda for a day, baby? You know what we would do because it's the same thing we would do in 2099. <laughs> Eat and get technology. We got yeah. tons of great answers in here. First from Lex at Ixel Girl, who says, just enjoy every moment soaking up the culture and spirit of Wakanda, eating plenty of delicious food, listening to the day-to-day -day conversations between the citizens, even if I couldn't understand them, and basking in the sights, smells, and sounds. Oh, I bet the food is so good. I bet it's so good. Yeah. 
jboas at jbotography says, open a Starbucks, you son of a... Get out. Get out. You're fired. You're fired, Jay. You're fired. How dare you? The Ice Queen at Black underscore Flames 15 says, I'd request a master class from the Dormelage on weapons training. Ooh. Ooh. That would be such a good workout. I like that you would request it, but like they would probably be like, who are you? Why are you requesting this? <laughs> are you royalty? Just that Okoye stink guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, mm. <laughs> and then you just melt. Rihanna Ab at Adar underscore Rhiannon said, I would try and see if they would let me join the Dora Milaje or honestly, just try to get them to let me stay there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do not come back here if you can live in Wakanda. Yeah, seriously. Stay in Wakanda. Yeah, 100%. Like, I would just be like, sorry to my husband. Anybody want to give me citizenship? <laughs> Marriage, anyone? <laughs> Brian Wolf at Briarwolf000 tweets, I would check out Wakanda's music and entertainment scene. Clubs, theaters, art shows, performances. I love that Ooh. answer, Brian. That's so good. Hell yeah. I bet they have great like dance shows. Yeah. Maja at Adamson underscore Maja said, if I could live in Wakanda for a day, I'd honestly do nothing more than take in the absolute beauty of the Wakandan world. I'd love to see the Dora Milaje and the training they go through. Just soak up the culture, man. Mm -hmm. For real. Emmanuel A. Chagadama at Take Memes and Books tweets, definitely visit the waterfalls where Killmonger dethroned T'Challa and take a selfie with the Dora Milaje. Later on, visit the border tribe. Chill in Sherry's lab and have a sip of juice from the magic herb. I, I like that you're just like, you know what? I'm strolling through all the most important, secure, and biggest places in Wakanda. Good for you, Emmanuel. I have to say, though, Warriors Falls is such a cool location. Mm -hmm. And I'm really excited for folks to check out the new podcast, the history of Marvel Comics Black Panther because it talks a lot about the topography, which is like a really interesting story of how that came into being. So definitely check out that podcast if you're interested in learning more about why there is so many wonderful locations. All right, next up, we've got Michael Forrester at M for underscore comics, which says, I'm right there with you, Ryan. If I visited Wakanda, I'd be making a beeline to their medical providers to see if they could fix my back. And Lorraine, I so want to try a scroll skillet. <laughs> Every meal would be a surprise. <laughs> Maybe that's what future meat is, scroll. It can be anything. Tastes like chicken. Ugh, go green. All right, we've got an email in here from Jim Marsh who says, quote, but I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. Uh, <laughs> referencing conversation we had last week. And thank you, Jim, points out that this appeared in Spider-Man and the X-Men issue number two, page five. Everybody can go read that on Marvel Unlimited right now. That was, we were talking about Sauron. God, that is such a funny issue. Sauron and Stegron and just all that deliciousness that they cooked up there. Jim continues and he says, if I could visit Wakanda for a day, I agree with Ryan that I would need to get my hands on some Kamoyo beads. Barring that, I would try to hang out with Shuri for the day. Tight security at the uh, palace, but <laughs> go for it. Give it a try. Why not? Yeah. We got an email here from William Rose, which says, Hi, Ryan and Lorraine. I think my day in Wakanda would be to spend time in the research department and find any possible mutant gods or goddesses in in-universe Africa that control different periodic elemental abilities different from Aurora's. This could be useful to explore another area of interest, and that is the magical field 
in universe Africa. He goes on and has a lot of other really interesting thoughts about all of the different ways that you could science it up and then concludes. Anyway, looking forward to the upcoming history of Marvel Comics Black Panther podcast real soon. Stay safe and excelsior. William R. Very cool, William. Always love your your questions and your perspective. You have a question about are there comics that you know focus on relatives in comics, not just as I mentioned. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. There's always you know little side stories about characters and their families. You know, Bobby Drake has had a lot of stuff with his parents showing up. There's various times, but not a lot of like we don't focus a lot on. Hey, this is Wolverine's uncle necessarily because you want to hear about wolverine and what he's doing and, and his butt and all that stuff and on that note that's it for this week's episode of this week of marvel this episode of this week of marvel is produced by zachary goldberg isabel robertson cara mcgurk lorraine sink and ryan panagos our senior manager of audio production and development is brad barton jill deboff is our director of audio and special thanks this week to brad barton it's his birthday this week presented to you by brad barton brad barton it's his birthday I'm Brian. I'm Lorraine. And this is Mark. Your universe. Whoa, my